0: I'm Banning Air, and you're listening to Season 7 of the Afropop Close-Up Podcast, where we go beyond the music into politics, religion, history, and culture. In this episode, I speak with ethnomusicologist Ken Lipanga about the emergence of local hip-hop music in his home country, Malawi. Ken is writing a book on the subject, and as it happens, he decided to travel from Malawi to the United States to conduct research at Wesleyan University in Middletown, Connecticut.
1: It always makes people laugh that I left Malawi and came to the United States to conduct research on Malawian music. But basically, the reason I came here is for access to other people's research. There are other people who've worked on um, music from not only Malawi, but also from Africa in general. And uh, even though I'm from Malawi, I didn't have access most of that material. You know, we're talking of books, we're talking of journals, we're talking even of the actual music recordings. Here at Wesleyan University, I was able to access that because they have archives of music from various parts of the
0: continent, as well as the globe. Very helpful, no doubt. But Ken brought with him firsthand knowledge you won't find in any archive or library, I asked him to describe the beginnings of hip-hop as a genre in Malawi, a story that starts in the early 1990s.
1: One thing I should say from the start is that during that time in the 90s, there was only the one radio station that is the state-run radio station and on that radio station you would have access to music from malawi from bands like uh, there was a band associated with the police there was a band called kalimba these guys gained something like international fame uh, they were known even outside malawi and there were a couple of other famous names, Malawian artists who would perform both in English as well as indigenous uh, languages, especially the Chichewa language that is widely spoken within the country.
0: But as Ken recalls, local bands like Kalimba, the band we're hearing now, as well as more traditional music played on the radio, had a hard time competing with the likes of Michael Jackson, Congolese rumba, or especially the highly produced acts coming out of South Africa after apartheid fell. Dube, Brenda Fassi, Yvonne
1: Chaka Chaka, you know, some of these artists from South Africa, their music would penetrate the
0: country and would be played on the radio. There was also gospel music, still a dominant force in Malawi today. Rumba, on the other hand, was associated with lewd dancing, drinking, and debauchery. Ken says Malawi was quite a conservative story in his youth. But by the late 90s, things were starting to change. The coming in of rap music is connected to the country's political history in the
1: 90s. That's when the country shifted from being um, a country governed by a single political party to now a multi-party state by democracy. Okay, now a lot of radio stations also sprang up at that particular time, and there was a lot of freedom. There was a sort of lessening of the conservative attitude that had been there previously.
0: And this change provided an opening for rap and hip-hop. At
1: first, people were introduced to the less radical forms of hip-hop or rap music, um, like MC Hammer, and obviously Vanilla Ice, um, and then the other names come in later. And especially young male Malawians would try to imitate this music and try to also imitate the the pronunciations of, of English. So people trying to perform their own rap songs in English with an American accent, or an African-American accent. That's what happened in the early stages of Malawian rap music. But, you know, the radio stations didn't take these people very seriously. But then This changes when people begin to realize that it's possible to rap even in local languages, to mix the English as well as the Chichewala, which I said is the main indigenous language. So as a second phase, you have rappers who mix the two. I think the linguists call it code switching. And that's the form of rap that became very popular and remains popular even today. There was a group called Bantu Kamuladzi who became very, very popular. And as you can tell from the name, they tried to emphasize their African identity so that their audiences would not see them as simply mimicking Western rap music. So they would infuse... Sounds, uh, lyrics that had to do with Malawi, but they would be able to do that in both Chichewa as well as English.
0: Is in my
1: veins like rocks. Addicted, and I'll never go to detox. Please believe we're back to the future like Michael J. Fox. These elements are not earth, wind and fire. Just poor Africans yeah, yeah, in a lap with yeah, yeah. fire. Just there was another group called Real Elements, also associated with the early stages of Malawian rap music. And they too did a similar thing, you know, mixing in English, mixing in Chichewa. And they were popular within the country. But it's not the sort of popularity that would really translate into economic gain,
0: you know? These early hip-hop groups got radio play on a station called Power 101, which targeted the burgeoning 15- to 35-year-old demographic. Bantu Kamarazzi in particular emphasized pride in being a black African, a potent message for young listeners. But this was unusual, ahead of its time, you might say. Real elements as well as
1: some other upcoming artists during this time fell victim, or perhaps that's not the right phrasing, but they used the same tendency that we find in Western hip-hop where the rap artists would tout themselves or speak about themselves or engage in this braggadocio kind of thing talking about how great they are as artists, as people with lots of money and so on and so forth. Most of the Malawian rap artists then would do that. People would engage in what is called beef, In the hip-hop culture, you know, they target a specific artist and try to show how they are greater than that particular artist, and he pales in comparison to them. His rap skills are not as good. Uh, Maybe he has no money, he's still living with his parents, things like that, yeah. In terms of themes, the early rap, they would talk about having fun. They like to drink their liquor, they have so many women, and so on and so forth. I think that's part of the reason why people never took rap music that seriously, ah, this music, this is not our music, you know, that's that's the challenge that rap music has always faced in Malawi. They would listen to what is being sung about and I would say, these are pretenders, these are simply mimicking a lifestyle that they do not live, okay? And it is this criticism of the rap artists
0: that in part led to the next evolution this evolution was partly about language. The emphasis on Chichewa definitely helped to bring hip-hop more into the mainstream. But it was also about subject matter, rapping and singing about real concerns and passions in the lives of ordinary Malawians. And Ken says the person most responsible for the change is... An artist called Tay Green. Tay Green does both. You know, he
1: talks about partying and having fun and having money. But at the same time, he brings in this pride in being Malawian. He's a rap artist, but he's been able to fuse in elements of traditional music. He always has these masquerades, dancers from traditional music, as part of his performance. In fact, he calls himself the Nyau King. And Nyau is a specific cult within the central region of the country.
0: That's Nyao, N-Y-A-U. It means mask in Chichewa and it's associated with initiation rites. It's also highly performative and has ties to pre-colonial African religion.
1: Now, Tay Green has
0: tapped into
1: that particular tradition. He sings about this, about being a proud Malawian, about being a proud African, about being proud of the music. And he doesn't only sing about it. He employs that sound, the drums. His music almost always features drums in a similar way to the drums that are used within this Nyao cult. Two for glad, three for Nyao, get down, get down. Low work for soul. Two for glad, three for Nyao, get down, get down.
0: Tay Green has been a major rap artist in Malawi since at least 2009. And aside from his evocation of Nyao tradition, Kenley Lepenga says he has other winning skills. You know, when people are discussing rap music... There are
1: various elements that they'll focus on, what the person is talking about, the speed of his delivery, the use of specific metaphors, or the language play that he engages in. Tay Green is not remarkable in those areas. He doesn't shine, but he has a gift for creating anthems, chorus that people can sing along to, and especially when he borrows that from traditional sources. For instance, one of his more recent hits is a song where he had adapts a children's play song. It's called Tola. Most Malawians are familiar with a play song children sing called kantolentole Most of us as young children, and I think even today, would sing that song at school in the morning. The leader would sing kantolentole and, and then the rest of the audience would say, Hey! Okay, so as you're singing that song you'd go around the school picking up rubbish and this rap artist took that and blended it into his song as a hook and produced a hit in this case people would not really be interested in the rap verses but they would be interested in the hook because they can sing along and for a lot of people it has a a nostalgic element where they can remember what they used to do as kids. Like I said, there are different things that I use to judge the skill of an artist. Today, one of the main factors that people focus on is the punchline the punchline which works as an unexpected metaphor. And one of such artists is Guamba. Guamba is one of the more contemporary artists. He started much, much later than Tay Green. He's been able to make international collaborations. And um, of course, we use followers on his Facebook page, lots of those, His ability to fill a concert hall or a stadium. He is popular because he's able to create these very witty punchlines. And he does that in Chichewa. He raps almost entirely in the Chichewa language. So everyone understands him. <laughs> There's a song called Nchenche. Nchenche translates as Housefly. So, in this song, someone asks him, Gwamba, where are you going? And he says, I'm going to church. So, Gwamba, "Ku church say I'm going to church. And then the person says, you look so fly. And he says, Okay, so you see, there's the, the word fly there has double meaning. <laughs> you know? If someone is saying to look so fly, it means he looks fashionable, yes. But... He uses that word to refer to the house flyer, and he says, So, in a way, this, uh, this insect that is regarded with revulsion is employed by this artist as something admirable, in, in a way. looks <laughs> <coughs>
0: Other popular hip hop artists include Hyphen, Fredo Kiss, Dan Lufani, Suffix, Shosie, Physics. There are quite a few, and they all have their particular skills—humor, flow, eloquence, and Tchewa poetry. They face huge challenges reaching foreign audiences, but in recent years, they've assumed a growing role in Malawian politics. In particular, hip-hop has become a platform for young Malawians to air their grievances with conditions in the country. In Malawi,
1: and I think pretty much in um, most of Africa, politics is a game, quote-unquote, played by adults, especially adult men, the so-called big men. The youth do not have much of a voice. Within Africa, the youth are being used as tools, tools of intimidation, tools of canvassing for votes. They did not really have a voice Instead, the older men would pretend to have the welfare of the youth at heart instead of letting them talk for themselves. So the hip-hop music is now being used in that way. You have, first of all, a sense of... Disillusionment among the youth. This realization that they've been used, exploited by the politicians for votes or as instruments of violence in some cases. And through the rap music, they're speaking out. They're saying, We are tired of this. We don't want to be exploited any longer. But the other dimension is where the youth, through the rap music, are actively taking part in the politics like campaigning or in some cases even critiquing certain political figures. Okay, So this is direct engagement in the politics, but through rap music. In the elections that occurred in 2019 and again in 2020, you had some political parties who would employ rap artists
0: to publicize their manifestos. Of course, there's a long history of politicians in Africa and elsewhere using musicians in their campaigns. But these rap artists have a particular pull on under 30 voters in Malawi, a good 54% of the electorate. It's also worth noting that these political gigs are some of the best-paying gigs around. Nice prize for an artist. And that likely serves to discourage rappers from launching full-on critiques of government misdeeds, Just the same, some rappers do take this route. There's this artist called Suffix. He was critical of the government that
1: lost power in 2020, and he performed a song to that effect. But now he's also performing songs critical of the present government, criticizes nepotism, because that's one of the main problems today. So it's not like he's just on the one side. He's just an artist who wants to speak the truth. So he speaks about that. But I want to voice a caveat of sorts. You know, sometimes in the country, you tend to think that this is an admirable artist, one who is not afraid to speak the truth. But you may not know what is going on behind the scenes. You may not know whether this person has received offers. So the fact that a person may appear to be virtuous may simply point towards the fact that he hasn't received any offers (laughs) at all. people can go and perform their shows. And at their concerts, they can even be critical of the government, including suffix. And so far, as far as I can tell, nothing will happen to them. There will be no police coming to harass them in any way.
0: But that doesn't mean they're not on the government's radar. Ken notes that allowing this level of free expression certainly doesn't mean that authorities actually listen to the advice or criticisms that rappers may offer. And while some rappers have run for political office, they have not done well. Unfortunately, I don't
1: think people are still ready to regard these young artists as potential leaders in terms of being president or even just members of parliament. And I'm saying this based on the history of the past two, three years, the elections. There were some young artists who ran and they failed to make it. Again, I'll go back to Tay Green. He also ran as a member of parliament in 2019 and he lost. There's another guy called Penjani Kalua, Fredo Kiss another hip-hop artist, very popular with the youth, you know, engaged in various charity activities, you know, fighting for the education of the girl child and so on and so forth. Very popular with the youth. He ran for the seat in Parliament. He lost. There's never been a rapper in Parliament. Slay.
0: Ken thinks that age has a lot to do with that. In the 2000 elections, these aspiring rapper politicians mostly lost to older businessmen, guys with a bit of gray hair, as Ken puts it. But time marches on, and perhaps it's just a matter of time, before a new chapter is written in the story of Malawian hip-hop. And that fits into a larger story about politics in Africa. What will happen when the hip-hop generation takes power in these countries so mired in corruption and mismanagement? For that, we'll have to stay tuned. Thanks to Ken Lipenga for his insights on hip-hop in Malawi. This Afropop close-up was made possible by a grant from the National Endowment for the Arts. But to keep this series going, we need your support. Visit afropop.org and make a donation. It's easy, and every dollar counts. For Afropop Worldwide, I'm Banning Air.